I wonder, have you ever been totally sure of something? Absolutely sure of something, only to find out that you were totally wrong. Yeah, there's a few hands going up already. Could be that you were so convinced this was going to be an amazing movie and you dragged a friend along and you sat through this movie that was absolutely awful. But you were sure it was going to be fantastic. Or perhaps you knew that you would combine these ingredients in the kitchen and you were going to have a culinary masterpiece. But it didn't work out that way. Or you were totally convinced in the shop that that outfit was going to really look fantastic and the store uh, salesperson encouraged you that way and you got home and you found out that wasn't really the case. Or maybe you had booked that dream holiday, it was going to be that idyllic venue and you were sure it was going to be fantastic and when you got there there were cockroaches running around in the room and the weather turned nasty and all sorts of things happened. But uh, it does happen, doesn't it? We're so sure, we're so convinced of something only to find out that we are totally wrong. The story we're looking at in the Bible today is a little bit like that. Two people who are really convinced of something, and we can understand why they were convinced of something, but they found out they were totally wrong. And this is the last in our series about on fire. We've been looking at stories of Moses and the burning bush, Um, God leading the Israelites through the desert with a pillar of fire. Um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace. Lots of stories about fire. But this particular one has a difference. And see if, as I read it out, you can spot the difference. It's from Luke chapter 24. That's the last chapter in the book of Luke. If you're following through, verse 13, we start out and it's called the walk to Emmaus. That day, now that day is the same day that the women had gone to the tomb early in the morning to discover the tomb was empty and Jesus' body wasn't there. So that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. (laughs) The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests... And other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they'd seen angels 
who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea and sure enough his body was gone just as the women said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and broke it. Sorry, and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, where they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. What an incredible story. What an incredible encounter with the risen Jesus. Can you spot the difference between that story and the other stories we've been talking about leading up to this point on fire? The others have been external sources of fire, a burning bush, a pillar of cloud, a fiery furnace to be thrown into, etc., where the fire reference in this one is on the inside. It's in their hearts, this burning glow that just flamed up when Jesus was talking with them. And yes, it's an experience of fire, but a different kind of fire, a different kind of fill, feel internal not visible but internal and at the heart but can you imagine the amazing incredible turnaround of their feelings and emotions they were convinced that Jesus was dead and there was all hope gone but it turned around so incredibly from utter grief and despair into pure joy and a burning fire in their hearts as only Jesus can do. As I was reading up about this story, I found that the word Emmaus is actually taken from the Hebrew and it means the burning place. It was known for a hot or burning springs and today there's a hot spring resort that's popular with locals and tourists at the site where they believe that the ancient town of Emmaus once stood. But my prayer this morning is that burning place will be within our hearts, not somewhere else, but within our hearts. For those who are taking notes, I have three points in my message. They're actually questions. The first one is head or heart. The second question is whose eyes. 
And the third one is alone as a question. Head or heart? Now the story um, in Luke 24 is actually the last chapter of the book of Luke. And therefore, it's almost the last interaction that Jesus has with people before he's taken to heaven. It's very similar to a story in Luke chapter 2, which is one of Jesus' first interactions with people when he was just a boy. And it's like the two stories are bookends, holding all the chapters of Luke together. The story in Luke 2 occurs when Jesus is just 12 and his parents go from their hometown of Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover feast with a big multitude of people. And after the feast, they're heading back to Nazareth again with a big multitude of people. And they just assume that Jesus was walking with somebody in the big crowd and they realise that he wasn't there. We take up the story in Luke chapter 2 verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him, that's Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So there's similarities to these bookends, to these two stories. Both accounts are after the Passover feast. Both accounts, Jesus in the temple, the road to Emmaus, involve leaving Jerusalem. In both accounts, Jesus obviously is a central figure. In both accounts, Jesus is explaining the scriptures as a 12-year-old boy to religious leaders or as the risen Lord to two disciples. In both accounts, people were amazed. But there's some key differences In Luke chapter 2, the story of Jesus in the temple as a boy, the religious leaders were amazed because they valued intellectual debate and discussion and questioning and arguing and going over scriptures as a text, as a theory. It was head knowledge. The thing about this kind of amazement is that we can be caught by some interesting fact or figure and amazed by that, but that amazement can fade. And some years later, those religious leaders were wanting to get rid of Jesus, to hand him over, to have him crucified, even though they had been amazed so many years earlier. By comparison, the two on the road to Emmaus, it was a heart thing. Jesus explained the scriptures. There was a sense of knowledge and understanding there. But the meaning of that and the significance of that went to their heart. They understood that the risen Messiah had power over death. Their lives were changed forever. They did all they could to tell others. And they were caught up in this new life that Jesus had been talking about. Head or heart? Amazed and impressed for a time or something that's burning deep within our hearts. We live on the resurrection side of the cross. We know that Jesus is Messiah. We know that he conquered death. 
We know that he opened the way to God and he gives new and everlasting life. But yet still, for so many people today, that can just be head knowledge. Yes, I've heard that at church. Yes, I read that in the Bible. Yes, people talk about it. It can be impressive, but not really spark a fire. I heard a comment recently that if someone comes into faith in Jesus through discussion, through questions, debates, reasoning, arguments, they can also be pulled away from Jesus through the same way. Unless this head knowledge transfers to the heart and becomes a real and personal experience. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, I've come to set the world on fire. I wish it was already burning. Now, of course, he doesn't mean the world itself physically will burn, but he's talking about us as people. To set us on fire, that he longs that our hearts were burning for him already. So why the difference between the story in Luke chapter 2 with the religious leaders and the story in Luke 24, the people on the road to Emmaus? I think it's because of the time they spent with Jesus and the revelation that the disciples had of who he was. In Romans 12, in the Passion Translation, we read, Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Keep your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. And I think that's the key to having something in your heart that just burns with passion, is time spent with God, communing with him. The dictionary says is to commune with someone is to share one's intimate thoughts or feelings, especially on a spiritual level or to feel in close spiritual contact with. And I can't emphasise enough the time, the importance of time that we have in prayer and reading the Bible daily, communing with God, bringing our worries and our cares to him, taking time to listen, to read through the scriptures. If we want to have that burning heart, that's how it's got to happen. You know yourself if there's someone you especially care for, that that flicker of love that we have for someone can dwindle if we're not with that person. We need to spend time in order to keep that flame burning alive. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. We have to spend time with him. In, uh, in the small group that I go to as part of this church, we're just starting on a study on the Holy Spirit and the point was made in the first study that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be with us and in us. And that verse that we read from Romans was talking about the Holy Spirit filling us with excitement and that we radiate the glow of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 14, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to bring to life the word of God, the scriptures, in our hearts so that they burn for him. 
There'll be more to come about the Holy Spirit in the following weeks. Head or heart, what about you? Is all this head knowledge interesting, amazing, but fades? Or is it something that keeps that fire within you burning all the time? The second question I have is whose eyes? Through whose eyes do we see what's happening around us? The people who are walking to Emmaus could be forgiven for feeling the way they did. The Bible said there was sadness written across their faces. They'd known Jesus. They'd walked with him. They'd seen the miracles. They'd heard his teaching. And they had expectations of something really good ahead. But they witnessed his arrest and the trial and the flogging and the humiliation and the crucifixion and his death, the taking the body down off the cross. So sure, sadness was written all over their face. They were confused, despondent. There was a catastrophic loss of their hope and their expectations. That was their genuine experience. Their response was entirely valid, but mistaken. How could that be? Something is valid, but mistaken. And what Jesus did as he walked along with them, he didn't change what had happened. That's in the past. But he reinterpreted their experience in the light of the Bible. One that makes sense of the pain and the rejection and the brokenness. So it was a different interpretation of exactly the same events. It was looking at what had happened through God's eyes, through God's perspective. So Jesus corrected their understanding. He didn't change what happened, but shone truth into the situation. And he took them beyond their own understanding and interpretation of that to align them with God's bigger picture. We all have things we don't understand about God. Even the two who knew Jesus didn't understand what was happening and misrepresented, misinterpreted the meaning and the purpose. There's a really important principle here, and that is to check what's happening around us, how we respond, how we react. Check that against the word of God. Look at it through God's eyes. See, our understanding is limited, but God's understanding is infinite. And I think the key to, stop, uh, key to this is to stop staring at the present moment of pain or difficulty or challenge, to stop focusing on that and reflect on a wider story of hope. What has God done in your life or the lives of others in the past? What do the scriptures say? What is the promise for the future? And what different perspective does that give us in terms of what we're facing right now? You see, life happens chronologically. Yesterday happened before today. Today is happening before tomorrow. For most of us, we'll have breakfast 
and then lunch and dinner. It follows a chronological order. But the meaning that these things have is non-linear. And God is outside of time. So God can look at something with us that happened in the past and change our perspective on it. To realign our thinking and all of a sudden that thing that happened becomes a whole lot different. And our responses and our reactions become a whole lot different. We get stuck into this chronological thinking and forget that God is out of time, outside of time. He's got all the time he wants. (laughs) I'll be out of time soon, won't I? And Jesus actually says to those from Emmaus in, uh, in verse 25, he says, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. And we have to take God at his word. We have to look what's in the Bible and believe that and look at what's happening around us in the life of that. The answers to our challenges are there in the scriptures. When something happens in your life and you're caught up with with self-doubt, look at your worth through the eyes of God. You are a valuable, worthwhile creation. He went to the cross for you. He suffered for you. He rose from the dead for you. When you catch yourself holding a grudge against someone, look at what the word of God says. Look at the forgiveness that God offered you. And why should you not offer that to somebody else? When there's a situation that seems impossible, there's no way forward. Remember, the Bible tells us that God can do more than we ask, more than we imagine. We're not caught in that God's not caught in that. When you feel that your actions have created a barrier between you and God, he couldn't possibly love you when you have done X, Y or Z. When your thoughts go in this direction, when your anger flares up. Remember, the Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you. Don't be foolish You must believe what the scriptures say. When life here on earth ends and brings sadness and deep loss, look at the comfort that God gives and the eternal future that we have together in his presence. When everyone around you seems to succeed except for you, Look at what the Bible says about true riches and what success really means. When there's a heaviness hanging over you and you can't shift it, believe that you can lay that burden at the foot of the cross and you can have a life full of deep joy. This is what the scripture says. Are we going to be foolish or are we going to believe the scriptures? Are they going to come to life and cause that burning flame in our heart? Or are we going to be honestly mistaken. Jesus' death was seen as the end of hope by those two on the road to Emmaus. The end of a promise when in actuality it was the fulfilment of the promise. The tomb wasn't empty. The tomb was full of hope. So the readjustment that the two had on the road to Emmaus through Jesus changed their perspective and helped them make sense of the past few days and they could understand why they felt that burning glow inside their hearts as he was talking see Jesus' death didn't negate 
his identity, his claim as the son of God, it confirmed it because it had been predicted in the scriptures. Their eyes were open to the truth that Jesus was the Messiah as foretold in the Old Testament and he had victory over death. And their new perspective gave them a renewed sense of purpose. It gave them a new authority. They wanted to go back to the place that they had left, a place that they thought of as desolate and empty and full of despair, no hope. They now wanted to be there more than anywhere else. And Jesus can do that for us as well. When our thoughts are down a certain track, and we want to get away from something, Jesus can turn all that around so that that which we're running away from suddenly has hope and life. And that's where we want to be. I love this verse in Psalms, Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, and it's all about the word of God. It's a great psalm. Psalm 119, verse 92, in the Passion Translation says, Because your words are my deepest delight, I didn't give up when all else was lost. And I wonder if that was the experience of those on the road to Emmaus, that the words that Jesus brought to them, their new understanding of the scriptures became their deepest delight. And therefore they didn't give up when all else was lost. The New Living Translation says, if your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. And I wonder if Jesus hadn't appeared to those two and explained the scriptures and revealed who he was, whether eventually they would have died in misery as well. But it's the living word of God that keeps us from that. Through God's eyes, a past of injured hope is suddenly healed in a new and fresh revelation. It was no longer the end. It was just the beginning. The third question, alone. Question, were they alone? Were those two alone? Do you ever miss the obvious? Sometimes I do. And as I was preparing to speak this morning, through the week I thought, Okay, there's that head-to-heart point. I can see that. There's that whole looking at things through God's eyes and God's perspective. But God, there's something more in this story that I'm missing. It. What is it? There's something more. And then I thought, Jesus was with them. Like, duh. <laughs> Jesus was with them. And I often ask myself, how many times do I miss that through the day? That Jesus is walking my day with me. I'm not walking it alone. That is so obvious. Jesus is with me. I miss the point in the story. May I not miss that in my daily reality. Now we can hurry through life at a quickening pace and it's a bit like being on the Dodgem cars at the Easter show where we're driving around and around, we're bumping into people, we're getting caught in traffic jams, we're trying to avoid things and it's just a crazy life. But what difference can the awareness and recognition of Jesus, his presence with us, make in our lives. He's with us in the Dodgem car. He's with us in the office. He's with us when we're shopping. He's with us on the work site. He's with us as we sit down at the table at the end of the day. He's with us at the movie theatre. He's with us at the party. He's always with us. And what difference... Does Jesus' presence make 
It made a huge difference for those on the road to Emmaus. It opened their eyes. It changed their perspective. It put fire in their hearts. And his presence can do the same for us. If we recognize that he's there walking alongside of us. It can make the day more calm. Jesus is there. He's risen from the dead. He's in control. It can give us purpose and meaning. It can give us guidance or understanding when things seem confusing. His presence can give us that extra dose of patience, that strength to rise up above the situation, that love that flows from him through us towards other people. Do we recognise Jesus? Or do the challenges of the day blind us to the fact that the risen Messiah walks beside us every day? I'd like to conclude by looking at the 23rd Psalm and I'll get the band to come up as I do this. As we look through the 23rd Psalm, I think it's a great summary of what the two on the road to Emmaus may have gone through. And I'd like for us to read it together. There'll be uh, a few verses on the screen at a time. If we can have verses 1 and 2. Thanks, Cameron. Let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Now, I think that would have been their experience on the road to Emmaus. That they weren't abandoned. That Jesus, the risen shepherd, was with them. Leading them into peaceful places. He was there. He was looking out for them. He understood the bigger picture. Just as a shepherd knows where the sheep should be going, Jesus was there with them. Jesus is here with us. Let's read verse 3. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. He strengthens us to walk the road. We don't have to walk along with a heavy weight of despondency and despair, heads down, shoulders slumped. Jesus renews our strength and he guides us in the right direction, not just in a physical sense, but also in our thinking and our understanding. Jesus can guide our paths within our mind. He can guide our responses. He can guide our emotions turn them around as he did for those on the road road to Emmaus let's read verse 4 together even when I walk through the darkest valley I will not be afraid for you are close beside me your rod and your staff protect and comfort me he is with us in those deepest darkest times I can't think of a more dark time than those two on the road experienced over the days where they saw Jesus' death but he was with them in those times they were initially blind to know who he was but he was there 
And he's there for you and he's there for me, even if we don't recognise him. He is there to protect us and comfort us. Verse 5. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Jesus abundantly provides for our needs. The cup of blessing overflows. He doesn't just get us on the journey, but he provides more than what we could ever need for that journey. And verse 6, Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's our ultimate destination, isn't it? To dwell in the house of the Lord. And that's the reason Jesus went through his death and suffering and resurrection. Because of his love for us. Because of the desire that God has to be with us forever. Jesus went through all that he did. He walks that journey. He loves you. He wants you to understand who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the revelation in the lives of those two on the way to Emmaus that you are the risen Messiah, that you have conquered death and the grave, that you have won the victory. Thank you for the light you shone on the scriptures. And Father, we ask that for ourselves, that we will know afresh in our lives that you are the Messiah. You are the victor. You have conquered death. Father, I pray that your light will shine in our lives so that we understand the scriptures. That you will reinterpret the hurts that we've gone through. We can align them with you and look at them through your eyes Father we thank you that your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and Father we celebrate that Amen